Gaming in BS, episode 241, being recorded May 5th, 2019. Welcome to Gaming in BS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome, welcome to the show, folks. Glad you're all here. Good Lord, I can't talk. And Anyway, how are you, Sean? How's it going, man? Oh, it's going great, Brett. How's it going with you, Gobble Gobble? Yeah, I went out turkey hunting. No luck. That's okay, though. I thought turkeys would be really easy to shoot. Well, if I could shoot hens, it'd be very simple, but I can only shoot toms. And uh, I could not get a tom to show up. Tom. Yes. Or jakes. Jakes are uh, an immature males. Oh, the more you know. Yeah. <clears throat> it needs to be a bearded turkey. Bearded? Uh, bearded. So they need to look like you. Well, kind of. Except there's the their beard grows off the uh, off the chest of a wild turkey. It has so, a long has a long beard. So kind of like you, kind of. <laughs> except, no, you rude bastard. <laughs> Brad does not grow a beard off his chest hair. No, I do not. Keep that trim back. Man, Brett does some <laughs> manscaping. No, I don't need to. No, that's, I do. Uh, well, I can't let that shit get out of control. But I am not like hairy back dude either. All right. Well, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. The more you know. There, there we go. So, did you uh, any gaming this last weekend? I did. How'd it go? What? What? Okay. First off, what? Oh, with God. Whom? You know, we've talked about this on the show, and none of the shit that we've talked about gaming online has anything to do with practical, uh, pragmatic, and real life. I'm just saying. <laughs> It all went to shit on you, didn't it? Well, you know, you gotta you gotta have room for backup. So you gotta you gotta be prepared for having a pretty small group, and then you've gotta be prepared for how you want to approach the game itself. Well, obviously, but there's a few things like, God, man, roll twenty, roll, roll twenty. I know somebody that works there now. I need, and he's in QA. I need to drop him an email and go, dude, F- fix your shit. You guys got to fix your audio video. So again, same freaking thing. I'm like on there, Josh is talking, Josh and Josh and Josh. And I'm like, I can't hear you, Josh. And I go, can you hear me? He's like, yes. And he's just talking and the talking. The worst part about online game. I'm very fortunate with the Wednesday evening group. Um, we weren't able to play last time we're getting getting together. But this week, this coming Wednesday, <coughs> excuse me, I will be able to play. But the most, the single most frustrating fucking thing with any online is I can't hear you. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I can't hear you. If you're can't. talking, can't, I, I can see you moving. No, <laughs> s- talk again. Can I hear? Okay. I can't hear Sean. Can you hear Sean? And yeah. everyone talks to each other. <sighs> uh, that is a son of a bitch. I hate that aspect of online gaming. So what we have written, it. what we have encountered more than on one occasion is one person can hear one person and that person can hear t- two people, but not everybody can hear each other. So have you tried to use Hangouts for audio vis- video? So we're using Discord. Done, finished, end of discussion. Discord. Shit canning the audio from Roll20 because it sucks. Ass. And so, but I also bought the Tomb of Annihilation adventure on Roll20. Nice. Have you you tried uh, Fantasy Grounds? Is Fantasy Grounds better? Fantasy. So the problem with Fantasy Grounds is that it's, it's Windows based. Or... Now everybody got fantasy grounds going, wait, 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 that's not true. And um, they can roll, oh, excuse me, you can use it on Mac, but you have to 
futz with it. Like it's not native. I don't think unless they've mm. recently come up with a native Mac cross-platform play: Steam, Windows, PC, Mac OS, and Linux. Interesting. Use our custom fancy grounds installer to get up and running on your Mac. Click now. Wow, I stand corrected. So now they must have something. I thought it was Java based. I thought Java would run on a Mac. Then I heard like you can use it using Wine, which I'm like, I'm not using Wine. <laughs> Wine is an emulator, folks. Actually, it says Wine is not an emulator, is what it stands for. But um, yeah. Well, okay. No, I haven't used it. Anyway, it's a, it is a. <clears throat> What you're describing, though, is a perennial issue for almost all online gaming that anybody I've talked to. Once you knock down the audio-visual parts, the game itself is usually pretty fucking awesome. Well, I'll tell you what. I got two of Annihilation, and when you bring that into the game, it has everything. <clears throat> nice. All the handouts, all the maps, all the tokens. It has dynamic lighting, I think, even mapped out on the maps. I mean, it is like, holy cow, it's it's got the chapters in Roll20 off to the right in the margin where you literally just, and I think it's broken down, so it's not even chapter, it's like section by section. So I could literally just click on it and it brings up a box and I can read it or not read it. Like I can read it out loud or just read it to myself, but it is, I mean, I was like, whoa, this is you all were, there. You were impressed. Very good. I was impressed with that piece. Oh, cool. But anyway, so what we're going to do, and I'll, I'll say this on the air because this may generate some folks. So for, for for those of you that don't know this, at a $20 patron level, yes, it is quite a bit of money, you can get into this game. So we have, I think, something like eight slots open. I think there's probably one, actually, eight slots, one I think of which is open, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to run probably one Saturday a month in the morning. And then the other night will be during the week. And during the week, it'll probably rotate. And so my commitment is twice a month. It's going to be drop in, drop out, which means it's not overly imperative that you are there every time we play. And I'm going to start with the $20 patrons. And I'm going to say, hey, this is when we're going to play. And what if some of those $20 patrons can't make it, Sean? And if they can't make it, they have a deadline to respawn, an RSVP. And if they don't, then I open it up to patrons. Don't we also kick them off our patron and, and shun them? Isn't that another thing? No, no, no. We're, no we're not sh no no shunning. No shunning. No. Okay. Sorry. And, sorry. No. Sorry. And then we're going to open it up to the, the rest of the patrons. And it, for those that can make it, great. It's going to be roll up a couple characters and you will only be able to play one. But you could play, so, I mean, you could play different characters in a different sessions. I don't care. So if Brett says, I'm going to make a rogue and I'm going to make a wizard, great. So it's taken a year, folks, but Sean's last <laughs> March's game it, has landed. It kind of is, yeah. Kind of nothing. This is as close as you're going to well, get, dude. it is as it's close. A vari it's a variation on the theme. It is as close as I'm going to get. I'm running Tomb of Annihilation, which makes it pretty easy to just have people drop in and drop out. It is going to be more of a, hey, where are we going to go? And this is where everybody's at. But, yeah. So that's what that's the way it's going to roll. Nice. And I think, yep, and I think that's that will make for a party of, I'm hoping, around six at any given time. Um, so if you're not a patron and you want to get on that, 
I mean, I'm going to roll it down probably all the way to the $1 levels. Um, not a big deal. I will probably give priority to folks that are paying more. So if they pay, you know, if I have two people and one's paying $4 and one's paying $1 and there's only one slot, I got to go with the $4 one, right? It's just kind of, I think that's fair, right, Brett? Works for me. Yeah. Um, and if we don't get that one slot filled, it goes all the way down. And then I think it's going to be on a first come first serve basis. So 5e, D&D, Tomb of Annihilation, taking part in the wonderful world of Eberron. So if you're an Eberron fan, if you do not know Eberron, because everybody's going to be like, do I need to know Eberron? No, you don't. It's not a big deal. Very if, you nice. do, if you do, great. So that's that's what I'm going to do, Brett. Do it. That's the deal. Get your shit going, man. I'm going to. Good. Yeah. Other than that, what else have we got for announcements? Uh, GameholeCon.com is out there. I have three different events in. Hey! Three. Yeah. Which ones, Brett? What are they called? So let's see here. Oh, they're my Avalon ones. What the hell did I call them? So I've got Butcher Baker, Candlestick Maker. I have A Fish Story and uh, Vera's Wrath. They sound riveting. All. All in Avalon. All in Avalon. I may run a Cthulhu game or something else on the side. Wow. I wanted to run three of those, so that'll be fun. So are you going to run um, one each day? Yeah, I want to run one Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I want um, Sunday's usually a bad day for me to run games. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Have you, are they, when, did you pick the same slot every day? Um, Kind of. I usually try to go after lunch sometime. So we'll see what, ha- we'll see where we land. But we'll yeah. see what happens. I have yet to submit. You get your ass in gear, brother. Yeah, I just have to really narrow it down so that way I'm all ready and ready, raring to go. I'm either going to maybe Kids on Bikes or Tales from the Loop is still in the mix, I think. Um, what you do is you do what I do. You sit down and go, you know what? I'm running three games. I want to run this, 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 and this. Done. Tales from the Loop. Done. There's nobody like you, Brett. I, well, let's I know, just, let's I know. just get that out on the table right there's, now. There's, that's good. Right. You don't need more of me. That but it's would... not easily as easily said. Like, just do what I do. I'm Brett. But that's the thing. You're Brett. So well, I'm trying to get you to be more like me, Sean. Come well, on. Well, I'm trying to resist every day, Brett. I mean, it all started, every started day. a long time ago. Brett nice. had a motorcycle. I needed to get a motorcycle. Brett had a really nice motorcycle. I had to get a nicer motorcycle. But myself nicer. Yeah. But I couldn't get nicer than And Sean got mad, so he wrecked his last one. I, I, got, had to, I had to get rid of mine. He did it to be out of spite. That's what that was. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, Brett has tattoos. I have not made the leap yet. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't, well, I'm afraid if I get one, I'll have like my whole body covered. It. You will. Yeah, yeah, you'll get more. Yeah. Well, you know you, the rule is you can never just have one. No. But speaking of game hole con... Um, we mentioned, I think we mentioned the uh, Displacer Beast. Yeah, Alex brought that up. So I've seen the pictures of the cute, adorable little six-legged tentacle monster. <laughs> it is out there. They are cute. Under our Twitter page, we retweeted John Kavalik, who does Dork Tower, and John has been gracious enough to lend his artistic um, views on those and created every plushie that Gamehole has done, and he's done it for free because they take the proceeds and donate it to charity yep that's cool stuff so that uh in it my understanding is you can only get it at game hole con they, uh, they don't ship it all that right no. so joe swick inquired about that and alex like nope sorry we don't want to get into mail order stuff i may have to buy a spare one just for joe 
We'll see. Right. Um. So that's GameholeCon. So evercon.org, our, our events registration is up as well. Go there, evercon.org. Check that out. That's coming. Obviously, it's in January, but it'll be our 20th anniversary, so it should be pretty fun. Um, awesomedice.com. We're still doing the, you get 15% any order of $10 or more. Gaming BS is there. And, um, we chose James Sweetland for the month of April. James, you have won a set of dice from awesomedice.com. Uh, Sean will be reaching out to you, get the details and all that goodness. And, uh, we'll hook you up, man. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for Brandon over at Awesome Dice for supplying all the dice. I think May... If I'm not mistaken, May may be the last month that you can enter your email into our website and be qualified to win a set of awesome dice mm-hmm. from awesomedice.com. So congratulations to James. And again, Brandon, thank you so much, man. Very much appreciated. Very cool of you. All right. I think that sums it up. All right. You, um, let's see. Why don't you start the first one? This is about Tuckamel, and you, you, you had that episode about me, so... Yes, so random encounter, fielding emails, voicemails, and comments for social media. Um, Joe of House Tykowski. 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 That's how I would say it. Yeah. Uh, Tecamel. So regarding episode 238 with Victor, I love this message about playing what you like with the people you like to play it with. It's, it reminds me of what the guys on the Whiskey Vault or Whiskey Tribe YouTube channels preach. If you like whiskey and haven't checked those guys out yet, they're a must-see. Brett, you got him on the quick, quick dial? I've already, I, I, I have not watched <laughs> this, but I've already made, I already made notes. Was looking at the, at the show notes for today. I'm like, oh, put them in. But anyway, their motto is something along the lines of, quote, the best whiskey is the kind you like to drink, the way you like to drink it. End quote. That's uh, that's good. No snobbery allowed, he, they say. Perfect. Uh, I like to think along the lines of Victor and, hey, whatever floats your boat, right? Most of us join this hobby to have fun. If you're not having fun, what's the point? Play what interests you and play how you want to play. If you want to add some house rules, homebrew, skew the rules a bit in favor of something, go right ahead. If you're the DM or your DM allows it, I've been at a few tables where things have gotten way too serious, usually at a con like Gamehole, but those are the outliers and you'll always have that in large groups of people. We've done a bit of this with tabletop wargaming as well. Unfortunately, with the way the rules are built, it tends to make games one-sided and not fun for the losers. I have seen war games like one-on-one games, Warhammer, like they you get the people that are like, "Hey, I like to play." Yay. And then there are some that are really, really super competitive. No, um, no, this is an aside from Sean and I here, but yeah, there are some people who are super competitive, but it is in a war game like that, it is me versus you. Right. And there will be a winner and there will be a loser. Right. Yeah. And some people are better at winning and better at losing than others. And I don't mean skill and play, I mean emotional IQ. Sportsmanlike, yes. 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 Uh, but if someone wants to have a straight-up tank battle, no infantry or artillery, and drop their cool stuff on the board, sure, go ahead. The other side will try and match points or firepower, and usually it t- breaks the game's balancing of creating armies that meet a certain criteria, era, point value, etc. But I know, fuck balance, right? Anyway, <laughs> a bit long-winded, sorry, too long, didn't read. I feel if you're having fun, you're winning. 
Joe. That's Joe's message. You know, Joe, I'll tell you, man, at GaryCon, every year they have a game. I cannot remember what it's called, but it is a board game, a war game, set out on the table, and it is a mishmash of crazy-ass things. There's Godzilla, there are tanks, there is, you know, Starship Trooper guys, anything and everything goes. It's a complete just rollicking insanity. I've never played it, but I've witnessed it. Um, Stormlord, Eric, uh, likes that one, and it's just kind of a blast. So The Hoff. The Hoffman, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Hoff. But it's uh, it's pretty cool, and uh, I have have played war games before with my buddies where we, (coughs) excuse me, kind of just throw down say hey let's try this let's see what happens here let's see what happens there so yeah it could be a lot of fun and i think you're right joe i mean if you're having a good time you're playing with your friends you're not being a dick no one's getting hurt you're just having fun go on game all right so let's see here we have ryan of house butler on character background and setting absorption Ooh, absorption Hey there, fellas. Your episode on setting absorbency and Judge's Kojo email and character backgrounds made me think of the game Troika. Troika is based on Steve Jackson. No, not that Steve Jackson. Fighting fantasy RPG from the UK. It was written by Daniel Sealand and published by the uh, Melsorian Arts Council. Anyway, the game is unique in that it has a setting, but it doesn't really dedicate any of its pages to explaining or describing it. Instead, the setting is implied with the character backgrounds, so character creation mixes backgrounds and setting in a way that allows referee and players to take what's implied and build from that. It's pretty cool. And there is a free artless version on DriveThruRPG if you want to check it out. We'll put a link in the notes, of course. Also, if you um, look at setting books like David McGoran's Yun Sun or Chris's Kutalix Hill uh, Cantons, you'll find well-written descriptions of their worlds that are heavily implied by the adventures and encounters instead of just massive, boring tomes of lore. These days, if I pick up an RPG book and it tries to wow me with a setting of massive kingdoms, epic wars, and shitty elvish naming conventions, I tend to immediately glaze over. Other people's worlds are almost always boring to me, but clever encounters, engaging NPCs, and rich locations with interesting discoveries are very easy to absorb because they are things I can use in my game. As for character backgrounds, well, there's no right or wrong way, and everyone defines fun differently. But I honestly believe that anyone's game experience will define will definitely be more enjoyable if they discover who their character is at the table instead of going in already knowing who they are. A side note, I need more Eddie Vedder impersonations from Sean. Thanks, guys. God damn it, Ryan. Freezing! Made of concrete! Alright, that's that's enough. How about you read Carson's? Uh, I'll get you back, Ryan, buddy. Thanks, dude. Alright, Carson writes in, I've been listening for a while, and the latest episode, Recovering from a Bad Game, made me want to respond to DM Kojo's position. I think that I about half agree with how he feels, but can't agree with any of his solutions, or even that we could agree with what the exact problem is. For instance, I would never play or run a game that rolled classic D&D stats, and almost everyone in my personal experience, almost certainly a younger age category, would agree. Mm. Okay, maybe, sure. Right, people he's met. That's what he's talking about, in That's personal right. experience. Yeah, yeah. Kojo seemed to be intimidating. In- intimating. Yeah, intimating. Not intimidating. Intimating that rolling for stats reduces min-max potential, and he is simply wrong. Whoa. If I roll... Now, <laughs> this doesn't go back and forth. If I rolled 14s and better... 
I already have the weakness-free Ubermensch character Kojo is trying to prevent. And if another player is sitting with 11s and below, he needs to min-max to not immediately die. Rolling for stats in this way is randomly generating a power level for each character, not randomly placing strengths and weaknesses for each character. Uh, okay. Maybe. To, Don't know maybe, if I buy that yet, Carson. Keep going, keep going. To do that in a <clears throat> to do that in a D&D descendant, you could roll some number, usually 30 plus of D6, and each number or each face number on the result increases that statistic by 1 from some base number, say 4, and reroll dice that would go above 18. You know, it sounds like a really hard way to get somewhere. That's, I would rather, instead of doing that, just buy the point spread, man. Right, point buy, right? Point buy. Every character is playable, and you get a random distribution that is fair, but very different between characters. Uh, it sounds to me, who might be uh, half Kojo's age, that nobody has ever had a good reason to, to classic roll for stats. It is just a very comfortable, familiar tradition from a time when RPGs were Wargaming's ugly stepchild. I also wouldn't agree that min-maxing actually stems from player agency. Letting players make informed decisions and character creation is never a problem. Forcing things on them is. In one example, Kojo mentioned the party needing a cleric, so someone needs to to bite the bullet. But in some versions of D&D, it may be literally impossible for any party member to qualify for cleric-slash-priest classes after stats have been rolled, and in other editions, cleric features were unusable without sufficiently high stats. That I understand. Like, I get that. Because those prereqs back in the day were like, you couldn't be paladin if you rolled it. Well, you could, but it's a major, like, pain in the ass. Or lucky. Yeah. Like, what'd you have for, a, what'd you need for paladin? I think 17 charisma. <coughs> well, we can look it up, dude. 17 strength. This is, this is crazy. This is just, this is a style, this is a style thing here. Right, right. Um, This can, however, this can never occur if characters are generally via point buy or similar systems. It also never happens in systems that are flexible enough to allow a party to heal without requiring a specific class. uh, In other words, Pathfinder has 12 healing proficient classes before considering the wealth of archetypes, feats, or items. Instead, I would say that min-maxing is caused when players are denied the agency to do anything that is not listed on the character sheet and when they lack meaningful choice in character creation. Hmm. Wait a minute. Huh. Keep going. Uh, taking hindrances to single-mindedly boost your health is only a problem in games like D&D 5e where health is objectively one of the most important statistics, interacts with a large number of things, and can't normally be bypassed. Well, I don't agree. That's huge. That was a big thing in World of Darkness back in the day. GURPS. Yeah. All sorts. Also, any, any game that has, yeah, hindrances or anything like that. Not just health, but going after lots of different things. That's the that's the thing. I think when, when Kojo was talking about Savage Worlds and taking hindrances, they do not automatically correspond health. No, they don't. They talk about like, oh, I get to shoot better. I get to jump I get to jump farther. 
mm-hmm. all those advantages um, you get to buy by taking more hindrances to get more points to buy them. Um, so moving on to put a more OSR spin on things. If a game is capable of rewarding player skill or in, in the leveraging of character skill beyond simply having higher numbers, min maxing doesn't break the game. Min maxing your attack to plus five isn't problematic in a system where attacking from surprise gives you a plus 30 or when you have lots of problems that can't be solved by stabbing them. It also isn't important in Savage Worlds or Fate, where you are more directing your group of action heroes, excuse me, to almost inevitable victory. Oh my goodness. I just, man, I got so much burping over here. Let me rephrase it. Uh, reread that. Blah, blah, blah. It also isn't important in Savage Worlds or Fate, where you are more directing your group of action heroes to almost inevitable victory rather than being adversarial, especially when you can be rewarded for hindering yourself. Okay. Yeah, you can in Fate. You can you can screw yourself over and yes. get rewards for it. Really, we should encourage as much player agency and character creation as possible. I want to play with a diverse bunch and do not all yearn for the old and do not all yearn for the olden days of literal fighter number seven with exactly the same abilities as fighter number six, except that he rolled slightly better stats after fighter number six died, but still couldn't qualify for paladin. This went on for longer than I expected. So randomly distribute instead of generate your stats and happy gaming. (laughs) This is the style thing, right? Carson has the style that he prefers. Kojo has one he prefers. I don't agree with a number of things that Carson said, but I'm like, you know what, man? If Carson's having a good time doing this and this is what his group wants to do, I'm not going to say you're wrong. Yeah, I mean... You know, I mean, I, we, we could pick, I can pick it apart and say, well, you know, on it, actually, blah, 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 blah. Well, then I'm just being a douche, right? There's no point to that. This is what he's saying here. This is a school of thought. This is an approach, and this is what helps Carson and people he's gaming with, what he's outlining here, have a damn good time at the table. Go yeah. for it. Seriously. And this is why we don't always play with everybody we know. Yeah. I mean, and Kojo is, Kojo and I talked about that even at uh, GaryCon. There are people who enjoy certain types of gaming. He and I are similar in certain aspects, but we we talked about um, certain types of games. We're like, yeah, that's not my thing. Is that not mine either? I don't give a fuck if people are playing it. You know, I'm not a big PBTA guy. I know a lot of people love it and have a ton of fun doing it. Doesn't get, doesn't do anything for me. Good for you, though. If you're having fun with it, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Don't bother me. Well, you might. Oh, I might. I wouldn't say you're wrong. Yeah, no, not you're wrong. If Sean was doing it, it's wrong. Yeah. But anybody else could be doing it. They're probably doing it right. You can be discriminatory, discriminatorily wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Brett's wrong, but just Brett. Anybody Most, else. Everybody else is, is okay. It's fine for not liking PBTA, but not Brett. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Carson, thank you for writing in, though. It's it's always I love hearing different opinions and different. I mean, and we don't care, right? I, I've I've met Kojo, I've talked to him, he's talked to Sean. I super nice guy. He would listen to Carson, and go, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's not for me though. Nope. Okay, I get where you're coming from. Man, it's not his. It's not. It's not his type of fun. That all that means is that if Kojo's running a game and Carson's going to play in it, or vice versa, you have to say, you know what? I'm going to play this type of fun today. It may not be what I would prefer, but I'm going to knuckle in and go for it. And I think that the, the, what separates the good from the bad 
from a gamer perspective is when someone, when you sit down at the table, like, huh, we're going to do something here. That's not necessarily my specific brand of fun. I would prefer we did it this other way. That's totally fine. As long as I'm not a complete asshole about that at the game, right? Sean's running Call of Cthulhu and I don't necessarily like one of the optional rules he's using. Who fucking cares? Suck it up and move on. Don't be an ass about it. And uh, or you know, find that all that stuff out at the beginning and say, "Huh, the way you're going to play that, eh, it doesn't sound like fun to me. You guys play without me. I'll be back later." It's good stuff, though. Thank you, Carson. Yeah, thanks, Carson. Let's see who's up next. Mike of House Dinos. I listened to you discussing of DM Kojo and how they prefer to create characters, uh, how he prefers to create characters. I do like the addition of hindrances of a hindrances table to add to each character, and I'm considering using that in the future. I absolutely hate rolling and building from the, from the stats because I'm the turd who regularly rolls a six six seven eight eight ten or something of that nature. Dude, Mike, I am yeah. totally with you. I'm the same guy. I prefer create a character concept first, then build from there. My character concepts aren't super detailed, though. They tend to be loose and flexible. For instance, I had a concept for a dual-wheeled Errol Flynn-type character. He started as a rogue, and I just kept adding things until I got the character I wanted. Yes, I created a fighter, mage, thief, and 5e. I do appreciate people who like to just make it up as they go, but some of us have to have a framework to start with. As always, good discussions, and thank you for your podcast. Also, thanks for pushing awesome dice. I bought even more dice this weekend. <laughs> Mike's got a piece here. I do appreciate people who like to just make it up as they go, but some of us have to have a framework to start with. I think that statement, Mike, is really is very insightful because some people are creative in a different way than other people are, and that's part of the beauty of the of the, the hobby, right? So Sean's like, yeah, I just roll down, down the line just like Kojo. I'll make it up as I go. And other people don't can't do that off the cuff or they're not comfortable doing it. They prefer a different approach. And um, that's why there's more than one game out there and more than one approach to do all this stuff because some people find it easier to be creative with a certain rule set than another. And I believe, um, I think at its core is one of the reasons why people have a favorite game system or they have a style of play or something that they really enjoy because they find it the easiest way for them to engage and be as creative as possible. That's my perspective, at least in most cases. All right, man. Back to you, Sean. Hey, gents. Just started doing this. This is for Matt. Um, Hey, gents. Just started doing this in my 5e game, and even though it seemed pretty simple, I hadn't heard it mentioned before, and I thought I'd share this little twist I've employed in case some out there might find it useful. I really like rolling all of the dice in the open and also letting the PCs doing the bulk of the rolling. This has its downsides. Uh, For example, or in other words, players gaining meta knowledge regarding their check. Huh, okay. So to alleviate this, when I don't want them to know the result of a check, say perception checks, stealth rolls, insight, traps, I allow them to roll but flip a coin behind the screen, which determines whether or not I'm going to invert their result. <laughs> Mensner does this. Sort of. He uses a D10, but same same damn thing. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, one side of the coin is labeled normal, which means I treat the result they rolled as is, and, the, and on the other side is labeled inverted, which means that I invert the D20 roll. A 2 becomes a 19, a 5 becomes a 16, and so on. This allows me to let the players roll the result, 
but keeps them from metagaming said result. They never know whether they that three they rolled to hide from the guard equates to a clumsy shamble or a skillful skulk. I keep a little chart handy to invert the roll and always ask for the roll and bonuses separately. That way I just invert the roll, add the bonus, and determine the result. Thanks for the read. Keep on BSing, Matt. That's kind of interesting, Matt. If your crew is in with that, I think that's a good idea. One of the things, Matt Colville mentioned this on his uh, YouTube channel, Monster Wranglers, you know, having uh, player control, how how many hit points the monster has. Look, the monster has 20 hit points. Tell me when it's dead. Or moving minis and doing different things and and uh, taking some of that Game Master stuff and handing it over. <clears throat> I think in a dice-heavy or dice-rolling heavy game, this isn't a bad bad way to go. You know, everybody's kind of rolling stuff. They all have a hand to play in it, and there's still a bit of the randomness behind it. So, huh, interesting. I like this. I don't know if my crew would get on board with it, but if you've got a a group, Matt, that's that's digging it, and you guys are having a good time with it, and uh, helps keep the um, the mystery, the discovery, and all that stuff going. Hey, that's good on you, brother. That's a neat that's a neat idea. Yeah. Thanks for writing in, Matt. All right, let's get into the main topic. Yeah, gonna hit the button. All right, Brett. Who 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 set up the topic for you this week, Brett? Well, Peter Skeins did. He did this a while back, actually. He came up with us, came at us, and said, "Hey, something that's bothered me for a while in Five E is inspiration." I don't think it did what the designers intended and isn't played anywhere like they thought it would. This makes me think about metacurrencies. They've become a staple in our hobby. Some work, some don't. But an overview might make a good episode. So I thought, hey, let's talk about metacurrencies. We talked a bit about this in the past, about gear at the table, bennies and, and stuff like that. Or, um, you know, metacurrencies is initially right where we have talked about mini games. you know, where you have... Regular combat, and then there's grappling, or this normal thing, normal normal movement, then chase rules, normal movement, then this, or whatever. <clears throat> so that's what we're going to dig into. So, Sean, you ready? Yeah, and for those that, for inspiration in D&D, for those that haven't played 5e or don't know what it is, you get a point. You're supposed to only have one point at any given time, and it allows you to roll advantage on a roll. Mm -hmm. so, and that's... Like that's it. You, I guess, can take that point and, you know, give it to somebody else. Uh, but that's that's it. And you you get it because of good role playing or or something along those lines. Like Brett's a, well, I wouldn't give Brett one, but say somebody else was a really good player at the table. Agreed. <laughs> you could give him a point of inspiration. I'd probably give Brett inspiration. He yeah. is a good role player. Brett didn't show up today. Point of inspiration for him. Oh. <laughs> hey, Brett left the ship. Point of inspiration for hey, you, Brett. Hey, <laughs> there you go. That's a good example. He left the spaceship. Good on you. He's you. Getting, get, getting out of his comfort zone. And getting out there doing something. Yeah. I like that. Good yeah. on you, big guy. So anyway, um, metacurrency. So, Sean, when you hear the term metacurrency as it talks to RPGs, do you think about bennies and stuff, or do you think about inspiration? What do you... Or all of that? What does the term metacurrency bring to your mind? Well, I have to say, before it was brought up by Mr. Skeins, I hadn't really considered the the exact term and definition. But now that he has brought it up, I there's plenty of games that bring it up. Like uh, you mentioned Savage Worlds, Ben of Bennies. There's also the 
dark and light side uh, force points in fantasy flight games uh rendition of star wars role-playing games cypher system has ciphers they do yeah um if i am correct fate has its own variations on that fate points and other things yes uh even warhammer first edition and i think it's in various other versions of the rpg have fate points as well um people i've heard hero points that people have used in uh different fantasy games so that's out there I've seen action points as well. Um, Eberron had action points to use that allowed, I think, a D6 roll. Now, I think, hmm, in my opinion, when a game is a new game, a different game, one that doesn't have baggage, when I say baggage, a history, a long and storied history of being around for 30 plus years, if you say, hey, Savage Worlds, kind of new, Cypher System, pretty new, Star Wars, Light Dark Points, Fate system, blah, blah, blah. The first time you're reading, you're like, oh, this has a meta currency. Oh, I get it. This is how this game is played. Um, <laughs> You play D&D, and if you've played D&D for decades, it's very easy to forget the meta currency of inspiration, unless there is a, a skill, a power, or something that, oh, I've got bardic inspiration. I'll write that down. It's very easy to forget it because... It's not what you're used to in that ecosystem. That makes sense to you, Sean? Yeah, I think so. So I think in 5e, the thing that's interesting to me is that I have, I tend to forget inspiration unless, unless it's like, oh, bardic inspiration. I give you inspiration because I'm a bard or whatever it is. Um, my buddy Alpha likes to play bards. But other times, somebody will describe what they're doing. We may have talked about this before. They'll say, hey, I'm doing... X, Y, and Z. I'm like, wow, that's pretty kick-ass. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you advantage on that role. Yeah, that sounds really cool. It's like an immediate inspiration. Like, what you've done is awesome, and I give you instant um, advantage on a role. Or I will tell people, hey, you're going to get disadvantage on that, but if it works, I'll give you advantage on the role afterwards. So I've kind of I've done that type of thing in various different game systems for a very long time now kind of my own little meta currency. And um, one of the things I like about 5e is the advantage-disadvantage, the fact that it feels to me that I can grant it or take grant either one to a position and um, properly bonus or hinder people. <coughs> Excuse me. So I don't often use <laughs> the inspiration mechanic, the meta currency, as it's designed. I use it my own way, where I kind of go, now you can have, if you do this, you give advantage. But if you do this other thing you're talking about doing, that would be a disadvantage. They're like, no, the disadvantage. I must have this. This is the this is the cooler thing or whatever the case is. So, Sean, when you play, let's pick on 5e. When you play 5e, do you use inspiration regularly or is it something that you, you too forget? I usually don't bring it in to play very often. Um, Players just aren't worthy. I get it. Well, and they're, they, my experience has been that they don't use it. That's but interesting. I, I think it's just forgotten, honestly. I read a deal where one person had gone out, not one person, but other people have done this, more than one person. They buy a set of 20 set of dice, all the same color, some crazy garish color, like neon color, and that's their inspiration die. And they grant it to you, and it sits on their character sheet. DM goes, here you go. They've handed you a thing. It's this glaring, colorful doodad that sits on your character sheet or right in front of you, and therefore it's harder to forget. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Not saying that's what you'd have to do, but it could be helpful. Don't know. Hmm. But do you grant it, though? I mean, just because your players forget it, do you say, hey, you have inspiration? They go, oh, I already have one. Oh, you can never have more than one. Too bad. I haven't given out that much. And it's not because my players aren't worthy, because they are. All my players are worthy. But, um, you know, I just, it, 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 I think it's it's a memorable moment, moment, but I haven't gone, oh, I'll point of inspiration. Yeah, you should get one. Is that a throw? If you were playing... Savage Worlds, you'd be like, yep, you get a Benny for that. Would it, I guess, long way around, are you suffering from the same problem I am with 5e Inspiration that that's not how D&D has been played for you for years, and it's like a different slash foreign concept for you when you're engaged in Dungeons and Dragons versus Savage Worlds or Star Wars? Or do those metacurrencies just freaking forget them? I would say in D&D, I usually forget them because they're usually not incorporated in a D&D game. It's, you know, it's just not been the history that I've been aware of where you, in Benef- Benny's and Savage Worlds, it's part of the game. Yeah, if you don't have the Benny, if you do not have the Benny currency flowing in a Savage Worlds game, as I learned from Ron Blessing and Christian Serrano, you're doing it wrong. Right. When you right. play with, when you play with Doc and the guys and he's running five year, whatever, is the inspiration currency flowing freely there? No, no, it, it, it's relatively, well, I mean, it's not to say that Doc hasn't awarded it as a game master, but it's just not, it's not given out like M&Ms. Mmm, M&Ms. <laughs> so I think it's very um, reserved for the most part. Now... <clears throat> one one could say, and I know people have said, Dungeon, Dungeons and Dragons and that game is not really, the inspiration is like a bolt on, like a strange thing that's stuck on there. And it doesn't fit the game system. It doesn't fit the mechanics. It doesn't fit whatever. Because like if a bard does something, ah, yes, the character class has granted a thing. That makes sense. Um where in like cipher system, it tells you like, hey, look, they're ciphers and this is how you use them, like GM intrusions and so forth within the cipher system. And Star Wars has its light side, dark side, the fancy flight stuff and Benny's and so on. The game mechanics seem to, they really utilize it, right? When you're reading it, um, I guess when I look through the 5e inspiration perspective, and I probably should have reread up on how often it's mentioned or, or whatever, but I don't recall it being a very like bold italics underlined, hey, here's a new cool thing for 5e type of deal. Well, the other games seem to be more, those metacurrencies are built into the heart of them. And I think the 5e inspiration is kind of bolted on the outside of it. it just doesn't feel as native as some of the others. I don't know if that's, is that, is that what well, you're feeling as well, or am I over? No, no, I th- I think you're right on because it's not a part of this. It's not um, the dark side, light side points in in Star Wars. That's again part of the game. It's a oh way- yeah, you, you you can do stuff. I can spend them. You can do bad shit to me. Game intrusion type stuff. Yeah, it's all there. It is a very. It's a showing of hey, everything's going our way, and it's going for really well right now. But because we've used all our light side, it is going to swing back the other way in some miserable, horrible way. 
down the road. So you do get that ebb and flow. Star Trek Adventures has a little bit of that as well. And so that is part of how the scenario kind of rolls. It's not always going to be peaches and rainbows and unicorns because you've used all those. And guess what? The dark side is going to come and reap havoc on you and your party and your situation. And Darth Vader is going to kill you all and they're going to win and the Empire rules forever. (laughs) So there is no downside. If you never grant inspiration, you're still playing Dungeons and Dragons. True. The game master, the DM, doesn't get inspiration when you spend it, right? Cipher system, DM intrusions, you have a thing, I can do something to you, right? You you get a cipher, you do stuff. Um, DM intrusions are not the same thing as metacurrencies per se, but something occurs, there is a mechanism within the rule set that I can reach out as the game master and I have permission, mechanically speaking, to do X in the game. Dark side points. You've got all the dark side points. I'm out. I have the bennies. You don't. You've spent a bunch. You haven't done anything to earn them back yet. Right. The currency is very one way. Yeah. I, as game master, am doling out inspiration. You, as player, are just, you get one point and you spend it. Unless you have a rule where you could give it to another player or the table could collect. Say, uh, <clears throat> put a bowl in the middle, right? And if you got five players, you could have as many as five different neon orange D20 sitting in the middle there. And anybody could grab one at any given time and utilize it. But that's a house rule, right? Um, it doesn't have a really a currency perspective. It's a very much an allowance perspective. You were a good kid this week. Here's a buck. Go buy, go buy a lollipop type of thing. You don't have the same... I'm not trading chips across the table. You know what I'm saying? Like you are in Savage World's Bennies. And I think because it doesn't come back across the screen, it is easily forgotten. Right. Yeah. Hmm. That just hit me when you were talking about that. Because one of the pieces that the other game systems have where I think it works better is it's an actual currency, not an allowance. (laughs) You know? Right. That's the way I find it. I mean, it, in Star Wars, it does exactly what it is supposed to do, which is, hey, I can get moment. I mean, I think in uh, Star Trek Adventures, it's called momentum. Mm-hmm. So if you build up enough momentum in Star Trek Adventures, you can use that momentum as a currency to, to garner positive results for your party. But know that eventually it's going to come back and bite you in the butt. And so then you get this big, you get this ebb and flow of the game and how it's running and how things are occurring because, and that doesn't mean it doesn't mean that everything's going to go to hell because well, I've spent all my light side points in star Wars. Therefore the dark side is going to come back and wreak havoc. It just has the potential to do that, which gives the, I mean, that's, you've watched the star Wars movies. That's kind of how it flows. Yeah. But that, that effect is story wide. It's across the table, whatever. And this is, yeah, yeah. This, this doesn't have the same impact. This is an individual having a chance to use a point of inspiration, a single point. And if the table were to have five players had five points of inspiration, they can't cash it in for a, a story benefit. No, they cash in for an opportunity to roll a second D 20. That's it. Well, and so that's not bad. I mean, having advantage is pretty fucking amazing in that game. But it doesn't – I can't really impact at the same level, the same approach, the the story, the world, and so forth that you could like in a Fate or, or something along those lines. Well, and in fairness with the Star Wars 
light and dark side points, you can spend one to to re-roll or get a, a boost die on a roll. Yeah, but I, that's everybody's. Well, yes. I'm anybody, just saying, if I'm like, oh, I, I should spend a light side, you can get the group. The, the group. This happened when we played. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going to do what now? We have two of those. Dick. What are you, you're going to waste it on that roll? Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to waste it right now. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We got we to carefully keep on those light side points because Sean's really racking up the dark side points. Well, that's true. It's not assigned to a specific person, but it yeah. is also it also means, and what I was going to say is that because of the the fact that it's like a single roll doesn't mean it's going to swing this campaign really crazy. I mean, it could if you use it right and it, it you know, I lock the door and none of them come in and we get to escape. It's Yay. the it's the potential for that that's there. And that's Correct. why when I'm like, oh, I want to re-roll that blaster shot, the group said, whoa, 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 easy, easy mechanic. Get back in the fucking ship. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we're not spending our light side point on that right now. We got three left. Sean's got five dark sides. Stop it. Okay, yeah, good point. All right, we're not doing that. The group is involved. And um, <clears throat> unless – so I think the D&D, the 5e, I think what would be helpful for it – is to take things from other games that use this kind of meta currency and house rule it in. Making if you want to have it be impactful, I think you know there are games that the players can reward each other things. That was a great role playing moment. I give I will give you this, or um, the game master um, hands it out, or you can have more than one. You could have five. You could have six. You could you could have more than I think. <laughs> Excuse me. Having more than one wouldn't be very helpful for for players potentially to start using it, or when they're all out. Once they've spent one, if they get a point and they spend one, I get one for my bad guy that I can hang on to, right? And right. if they spend, if there's five players and they spend all five of their inspiration points, they know Brett now has five, and they'll get them back when I spend mine. So, I'll encourage them. Because I'm that guy, game master. Hey, you, you should probably spend that inspiration. You probably really want to take out this this bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll blow it. Good, good. More, more, more inspiration for my bad guys. And then when the when the Lich King shows up, they're like, "Hey, you might as well use inspiration. Come on, Brett. Come on, hit me, hit me." You know, they're going to want to burn it back to get it flowing across the table. It has to move. And I think anything you could do to get inspiration in Five E flowing at the table more freely. Um, would make it a better meta currency. I don't know if that's even something a lot of people want, and it might be a bolt on simply because. And some people are like, look, I didn't fucking don't even like it. I'm happy not to use it. Only the bard gives it to me, and I'm totally fine when that happens. And I don't care about the rest of it. Maybe that's legit for folks. But if you want to do something more with it, I think you need to make the cur- make it. You need to make it flow right because it's very stagnant right now. Yeah, it's like getting an allowance of you know. A dollar when you were a kid. Yeah, that's that's helpful. Mow the lawn. I got a buck. Can't buy a D and D book for that. Nothing. I got a buck. You know, it's kind of it just it feels cheap. I guess. And you can only ha- you can only have one. I remember when we could get four packs of bubble gum for a buck. Oh yeah, those were the days. Quarter of hubba bubba. I remember hubba bubba or bubble yum. Yes. <laughs> Sean, anything else on this? I think it, it, it's it's interesting when you when you look at five E and it the inspiration component of it. When Peter said this, I'm like, huh, I don't know if it's broken. And I think he's he's saying it's not doing quite what the designers intended. I which tells me it's not broken. It just isn't needs a little work, perhaps, or a little bolstering. Because even in um, Warhammer First Edition Fancy Role Playing, the fate points and stuff, the players only have so many of them. 
It's on them to use it. My buddy Zave died, and he's like, oh, crap, I could use a fate point. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Sorry, over. Oh, no one reminded me. I'm like, I, it's not my job to remind you of everything that's on your sheet type of thing. Um, <clears throat> but it's it's interesting because I look at other game systems that have meta currencies, and I think it's really the core of it. I keep coming back to it is it's moving. It's flowing on both sides of the screen. I hand them over. You hand them back. I hand them over here. They move. They're moving around the table. This one doesn't seem to move much, and I think that's probably why it's easy to forget. Well, and that's why it's limited to one. Because it's easy to forget? Well, no, not not that reason, but the fact that you only have one, I think it doesn't it doesn't throw things completely off whack or out of yeah. whack. Or you can't accumulate ten or twenty and you're all gonna cash them in at a particular point. Yeah, there's gotta be a limit somewhere, right? I would assume. Yeah. Right. And if you go too crazy with it, somebody's gonna go, Yeah, that's Savage Worlds, Brett, just knock it off and do math by fours and off you go. Why, why do you why are you doing this? You know, it's not that bad. Um yeah, I don't know. I think if um I've I've played D and D five E for quite some time now and the inspiration gets forgotten and no one's noticed. Huh. You know, when the bard hands out inspiration, as I say, that works. But we don't hand out inspiration that that often, if at all. Well, the bard's like an effect, right? Yeah, I know. Bardic inspiration. <laughs> yeah, but that's the only inspiration people remember in my group. Sure. Because as I say, our approach is, that's really cool. I'll give you advantage on that role. It's like an immediate type of inspiration where you've done something inspired. I will give you advantage right now for doing that thing. And I think that has, um, that's encouraged for my group a way to have better descriptions, more action-oriented, more vibrancy at the table, engagement, so on and so forth. When they're like, hey, if I do something really cool, I could get advantage for trying this. Or I'll take this advantage, but then, hey, Alpha's going to do this thing, which would give him disadvantage, but because the way they've set up this wonderful narrative, Lenny's going to get advantage on his next role because of this thing. Done. Totally. It sounds really cool. Let's do that. So I think it's become, for my group, an instantaneous, that's a good role-playing thing you're trying to do. So pow, 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 we hand it out that way. It's immediate. Yeah, I don't think it's a, I just think it's a an afterthought. That's why it's not been a factor in our games. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so. Well, cool, Peter. I hope we, I hope we answered that or dealt with it at least a little bit to what you were thinking of. If we missed a point, obviously let us know. Sean, do you have anything else you want to say about this one? All I think it is is more of a carrot and a stick. It's a way to incentivize players to maybe do things that they wouldn't normally do. Maybe it's a role-playing opportunity or it's taking a chance on something or playing their, like it's supposed to tie into their player character. So maybe it's adhering to their background, adhering to their principles. And when they do that, you you throw them a good job. Where if it wasn't in a mechanical piece, then you could you can kind of go back to the hindrances and power gaming and all that other stuff where it's like I got this background but I never play to it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think it's it's okay, but I don't. I mean, my game's not going to be better or worse with it or without it. That's fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. That's all I have to say about that. Well, folks, if other people out there have had. <coughs> Good Lord. 
Uh, I spent a lot of day outside today cleaning the garage. I think I'm just full of dust. Um, anyway, if uh, people have other thoughts around metacurrencies, if you've played other games that have them uh, outside of 5e or even 5e itself, and you found ways to make it work or games that seem to do it really, really well, let us know. Be good to hear about it. Yeah, I agree. Moving on. Moving on to die roll. All right, die roll. All right. So, um, Mark Tasaka, you silly monkey, you. So, Mark has um, created the Fantastic Adventures and the Disgruntled Gong Farmer. You can get it on drive through. We'll have a link in the show notes. Um, we ha- thank you, Mark, for sending copies to us. Thank you very much, and thank you for recognizing us in the in the product as well. Very, very flattering. Thank you. Um. Go check it out. I believe it's $6 for a print copy, but I think it maybe pay what you want for PDF, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, softcover, um, watermark PDF zero is what I'm seeing here. Yeah. Although it's at six bucks. He's got King's Challenge, a zero level funnel, Cobalt Stole My Cat, level one adventure, and the Gong Farmer's Revenge, another level one adventure in there. And it is compatible with DCC, Dungeon Crawl Classics. Compatible check out that. Nice. Yep. Uh, Brett, I have a, I have a question for you. You can't click on this link now. Ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. The next one, someone figured out how many possible character builds there are in Dungeons and Dragons. That's gotta be, <laughs> I don't know, 40, 50. I'll say 50. That's it. No, no. Now no, let's, just... let's define this. Cause I think you're going to come up. So if I'm you just, took, I have no right. idea. Okay. Uh, Seven trillion. Are you serious? Seven trillion. So some some person user, Sinner Sinner Genesis on Reddit, came up with over seven trillion different possible combinations in the player's handbook alone. Which is this? This adds fuel to my statement before about Path. Good Lord, what think about Pathfinder Core? What you could do there? Ooh, and. uh when people say, oh, I need this splat book because without it, I've played every type of fighter. Wrong, 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 wrong. Right. You have not. So and I got to imagine it's, it's you know, the different ability scores, right? You know, take all those. Then it's what class, what race, what Even level. Even if you cut that in a, in a quarter and say, well, those aren't really differences to me. Only this, blam. I mean, it's got to be crazy. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, that's nuts. Um, and then, of course, the last one on the list for this week is Brett had hinted at it uh, last week. Uh, I was I took part in it this week uh, on the Appendix N Book Club podcast. Mm-hmm. And so, Brett, what 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 book did you have to review? So what we did was we ch- <laughs> they hooked me up with a um. Let me make sure I get the author's name correct. Stanley G. Weinbaum. Uh, Martian Odyssey. It was a series of of short stories ah. um, that we went through. But Stanley G. Weinbaum. It okay. was an interesting, dude. The more I <laughs> excuse me, I read it, and I'm like, huh, hmm. You have to listen to the episode to to get the full impact there. But um, it was fun. It was a really good discussion. You know, Jeff Goad, Hoy, they're super fun guys to talk to. <laughs> a lot, of, just a lot, a lot of fun. We had to do our show twice. Did you have to do yours twice? No, we had a, I, I we had, had a technical glitch. I had so exceptional, exceptional audio quality, is my understanding. Yes, I'm, uh, ass, I'm assuming they they learned. Uh, 
I'm, I told Jefferson it had to be a mind. He goes, no, man, I think I screwed up. I said, no, just, just blame me. It's totally fine. But it what? was a blast. I would go back on the show in a heartbeat, man. Like, yeah. That's fun. Check them out. Uh, so Appendix N is back in the DMG of first edition of all authors and books that people could go and read for inspiration to play D&D. Gygax put them in there. They're going through them. Um, some are literal, like this is in Appendix N. Some are more of an author, and then they're picking a book from that author because the author may have multiple books. If you want to get an idea of how they're doing it, Go to appendixnbookclub.com. You can see their full list. But you go to the episode zero, and they explain, here's our approach. Here's what we're doing, how we're defining, and what we're going to go about it. So it's fun. Hobbs has been on there. I, I feel bad that Hobbs got on before you and I did. I feel well. I feel a little sad about that. You know, that it's all right. I mean, I, it's all good. <laughs> um, but they talk about the book. But also, So then you're like, okay, great. But they also say, how do you see this book? in implementing it into gaming. Yeah, what is how does this gaming inspire you? Which honestly helps you get through some of the some of the appendix end stuff is not all that good of a read in Brett's opinion. Right. But when you read it with an eye towards how what could I steal from this to make my game interesting, the reading becomes better. Oh. I had Martians go home. I'll have to listen to that episode and see what you thought. <laughs> so it's it's funny. I th- Martians go home is more of a satirical kind of jokey. Martians come to Earth and then they invade. Uh but it's not. It is not a serious book by any means. Funny. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it was good. Very good time. Loved talking to to Jeff and Hoy for sure. And uh, there a lot of podcasters have come through that that show. But check them out when you get a chance. Put it in your give them a give them a shot. And if it's not your cool if it's not your jam that's cool move on if it is well then you got a new podcast to listen to for because they got a lot of material to cover yes they do i think he <laughs> one thing he told me like in, in year four we plan to read you know <laughs> i'm joking well maybe not joking i can't remember but they've got a lot of stuff to go through they said something like 229 just appendix in like oh shit they have so much material man yeah yeah uh i want to thank peter for the review on itunes thank you very much yes thank you uh, but I think that wraps up die roll. Brett, what are we talking about next week? Well, next week we've got a special guest. We've got Paige Letman, uh, who's going to come on. She is uh, pretty prominent within the RPG scene, and we're going to talk about um, her her perspectives on gaming inclusion and just trying to get um, a, another perspective, right? So, you know, Brett and Sean, um, we have we know what we see. We'd like to get some other um, other insights. We've got some great listeners that have written in and told us some stuff, and. Uh, It'd be good to talk to talk to somebody else and uh, see what they see. Yes, looking forward to that with Paige. Otherwise, another episode of Gaming and BS is done. I'm Sean and I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers: Hawk Sparrow, Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Miner, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele. Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValle, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Roger Braslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Coward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stephen Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, Trevor Davis, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, Ray Otis, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Chad Glayman, Finolf, Merkel Froelich, 
Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, and Jeff Seifert. For ways to support the show, head over to gamingandbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This, this has, has been, been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio production. production.